Welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful that you're here. And we exist for stories like that, uh, so that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. Uh, I want to let you know about something that's happening starting today. Um, <clears throat> we are doing a, a kind of a re-up of our For the Church, For the City campaign. We did this last year. Uh, we started this last year as a two-year campaign where we're going, hey, we need to get into a permanent facility for our church. Uh, so we purchased the land. We started the, uh, the designs of a 600-seat auditorium. And, uh, and then uh, this past Sunday, as Pastor Johnny just mentioned, we had this great groundbreaking ceremony. And so God is on the move. But did you know this? In order to get a permanent home, you have to spend money. Uh, and so we have a great lender uh, that's allowing this to happen. But to actually be able to get into our home, we need to be able to raise $4 million. Uh, so we put this pitch out last year. Uh, we gave this to the whole church. We asked you to pray and to fast and to say, hey, what is ours to do uh, in this campaign? And as a part of that, we had this big commitment day. And when we added up all of the, the giving and the commitments, it equaled out to 95% of our goal, which was $3.8 million is what we ended up, ended up with. Now, we've seen over 2 million of that come in so far, which is incredible. And 83% of people, yeah, I think that's awesome. And 83% of, of those who committed something have started giving, which is great, but that means there's a gap, right? So there's a, a $200,000 gap, and then people that have, have, have moved away from the church or, you know, maybe things changed in their finances and they couldn't come through on their commitment. So there's a little bit of a gap. And so what we want to do over the next four weeks is we want to bridge that gap. So our goal is $500,000 uh, of commitments over the next year. So either giving or commitments over the next year. Uh, and here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to do two things. Number one, Pray and fast. Pray and fast. Hey, God, what is mine to do? Hey, what do you want me to do? As you, as you do that, there's a commitment card on your seat. We'll have these on the seats every week just as a reminder, just something to be praying over, processing. Uh, me and my family, we're doing that again because here's what I know. Some of you, uh, you're doing your commitment, and, man, it's all you can do. And I, man, I applaud you. And I say just keep doing that. Others uh, have, have been blessed more in the last year, or you've seen the stock market increase or whatever. And so you're like, man, I could do more uh, than what I initially committed. And then we also know that our church has grown pretty substantially over the last year. So there are many of you, a large portion of people in this room and watching online, who weren't even here last year. So you didn't have an opportunity to participate in this. So our, our belief is what if we all came together? And we said this last year, it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. Meaning that, that the youngest to the oldest, to the wealthiest, to the not wealthiest of us, it, it's not about how much you commit to, it's about all of us participating at some level. So I'm just asking you to pray and to fast. Hey God, what do you want me to do? What do you want our family to do to be able to help the church get into a permanent facility. And the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to come every week. Uh, over the next four weeks, we're going to be uh, giving more details about the, the building, more details about this. We're showing some videos and different things like that. Um, so if you want some, if you, if you didn't get this brochure, if you want to hear a year ago, uh, then, then I would pick this up. There's a, a For the Church for the City table when you're walking out under the breezeway to the left-hand side. You can just grab one of these. It gives a ton of information in here, but we're going to be giving information uh, as we go uh, over the next four weeks. I know some of you are like, but it's fall break. I'm going to be out of town. Join online. Uh, so that, that way you can not miss any moment of what we're doing over the next four weeks. And then uh, let's see what God does. 
Let's see how God uses you and I and our generosity to uh, help our church get into this permanent facility so we can not only grow more ourselves and our kids and all of that, but we can continue to reach this community and beyond for the power of Christ. I'm so excited to see what God's going to do, but it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us going, hey, we're in, let's do this. In fact, let's just, let's just take a moment, let's pray. Father, we come before you, and God, I thank you so much. God, I know that over the last few years, I've seen so many churches shut down and friends that have had to close the doors for good. And God, I thank you that for some reason you've chosen to bless us. That God, you've allowed us to not only remain open, but to thrive. And now comes the opportunity to be in a permanent home where we can thrive even more. God, I just thank you. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy in our lives. I pray, Father, over the next four weeks that you would just speak to us. That as we lean into you, Father, that you would reveal to us what is ours to do. What are you calling us to be a part of, God? How are you calling us to contribute as an individual or as a family? And God, thank you. Thank you for what you're going to do. God, thank you for how you're going to show up. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have you ever had a supernatural experience where you thought, man, I'll never forget that? You ever had a moment where you, like God did something? Maybe it was in like your salvation story, or maybe you saw a healing happen uh, in your life or somebody else's life, or maybe you saw someone get set free from an addiction. Have you ever, have you ever had this supernatural experience that only God could have done? And you're like, man, I'll never forget that. And why can't I have that every day? You ever been there? One of my stories is uh, from 1997. I, I was on my very first mission trip. I just accepted Christ six months earlier. And now I find myself in the San Blas Islands of, of Panama. Uh, and I think there's a, this is me and my style right there, baby. <laughs> Sarah, change that real quick. Uh, and then, and then uh, the next picture, uh, beautiful hair. I just got beautiful hair. Uh, so that, that was me on my first mission trip. And, man, God did so much on that trip. Like, there were so many incredible stories that I could tell you about. But one story stands out above all of them. There was a guy on the island, and um, he was a younger guy, a guy in his 20s. And when we first got introduced to him, it was clear something was wrong with this guy. I mean, he would come out of his, out of his hut naked, chasing around people. Um, when he found out we were Christians, he, uh, he tried to kill us a couple times. They, they, yeah, it was, it was, it was, something was wrong, obviously. Uh, they would have to um, uh, tie him down uh, to keep him from hurting anybody when he would speak. It was in like these weird voices and things I couldn't understand. I mean, so what we were told is this, uh, this guy was demon-possessed. Now, the closest I had ever come to a demon to that point was watching the movie Poltergeist, you know, like when I was like seven, which is, by the way, is not a good kid movie to let your kids watch, but thank you, mom and dad. Um, and so that was like the closest I came to any, any demon was watching a, a movie, right? Now here I am, and I'm watching this person who clearly has some major issues and not understanding like spirituality and stuff at that point. Like I just accepted Christ. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I'm seeing a demon possession right here. And so we just began to pray. And we had a couple guys on the team that would go over there every day and, and just sit with him. And this guy was tied up because he would try to kill us. And, but people would just go and sit with him and just share God's word with him and pray over him and things like that. And we were there for, for a month. And at the end of the, our time there, this demon was completely removed. Like we saw, I, like I can't even put into words clearly enough to explain what happened with this guy. 
I mean, not only was he, he was finally dressed, which was a start, uh, he was speaking coherently. Um, uh, it was his first time being able to go into a church. Up until that point, they had tried to get him into a church, and four men carrying him, he would overpower them. And now he's walking to a church with a smile. Like this guy was radically changed. And I remember thinking, why can't I see that every day? Like, why don't I see the power of God move like that every day where people are being healed and demons are being cast out and people are being set free from addictions? Like, God, I want to see that kind of power every day. That's the game-changing topic that we're talking about today is the power of God. Right now we're in a series called Game Changers, and we're studying the life of Paul through the book of Acts. Uh, Paul was one of the greatest church planners and, and missionaries of all time, and we're looking at his life and seeing, man, how did he change the world? But also, how can we change the world? We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, no worries. It's going to be up on the screen. Hey, if you need a Bible... As you walk into the car, there's a blue tent that says connections on the, on the right-hand side. Just go there, ask for a Bible. We don't need your name, your money, none of that. We just want to make sure everybody is resourced with the Word of God. Uh, so Acts chapter 19, let me, let me set it up for you. Uh, Paul has been in the, the city of Corinth for 18 months, and now he heads to Ephesus. And when he gets to Ephesus, we're told that he meets these disciples, is what they're called. Now, Paul asks them, he says, hey, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. Who's the Holy Spirit? He's like, okay, you're not a true disciple. Let me, let me kind of give you some understanding here. You have to accept Christ and what he's done for you. And once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, I mean, we would like that. So Paul leads them to Christ. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we see that when they walk in step with the Holy Spirit, God does some supernatural things in their midst. So Acts 19, we're going to start With verse 8, here's what it says. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. The way is uh, another term for Christians. So they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So here's kind of the, the gist. This is Paul's MO. Every town that he goes into, the same exact thing happens. He goes into the synagogue. He begins to preach about Christ. The Jewish leaders hate him because people are coming to Jesus and leaving the Jewish faith. And so they start to come up against him. Many times it results in beatings and imprisonments. I mean, Paul would have been better off if he would have gone into one of these towns just to say, hey, where's the city magistrate? Hey, hey my name is Paul. Can you just show me the prison? Because I'm going to end up there at some point. Like it would, have been, it would have been just easier, just like go ahead and get it done with now. But this situation is a little bit more unique. So Paul preaches and they come up against him, but he's like, you know what? I've seen this movie played out too many times. I'm good. So he just kind of steps aside and he goes off to this lecture hall and he begins to preach about Christ. So instead of coming forcefully at them, he just steps aside and begin, continues to preach in this lecture hall. And it says every day. Well, how long does he do this for every day? Look at verse 10. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord for two years. Now, if you add up his total time in Ephesus, Paul was there for three years, making it the longest time he was with any at any city and church. And Paul, at this point, he's he's preaching the gospel every day. And it says that everybody, all the Jews and all the Greeks in, in Asia, 
hear the word of God. Now, Asia is a little bit different than, than what we look at as Asia today. Uh, so we have a picture of what Asia was back then. Uh, so a little bit smaller than what we consider it today, but still a lot of people. So like, how did all of these people hear the word of God? It's impossible that they would have gone to this lecture hall and heard Paul themselves. So what happened? Some of the people, they come and they hear Paul and they accept Christ. And then they go back to their villages and they start sharing about what God has done in their life. They start sharing about this Christ who is radically transformed. That This is how they hear about Jesus. This is how they hear about the word of God is that their lives are transformed and they go back and they begin to tell everybody. And everyone in the province of Asia hears the word of God. Now, something I, I want us to stop and just, just learn here um, about what happens with Paul and these evil people. These people that come up against him. You see, it would have been probably easier for Paul to, to resist them. Like in our mindset, in our culture, we're taught to resist people. So if somebody comes up against you politically, somebody comes up against you, you know, uh, uh, spiritually, something like that, they, they have a different view than you, then in our culture right now, instead of stepping aside, we fight. We step in. We're like, okay, let's do this. But I think what Paul's situation teaches us here is that God can use the ways of evil men to still spread his word. Like these evil men had a plan. And in our culture, we would have been like, well, fight against them. Don't let them, don't let them teach you that. Don't let them make you do that, Paul. And Paul's like, God's big enough. God can use their evil ways to still, still spread the word. Without these people enacting their evil plans and without Paul stepping aside and going to this lecture hall, not all the people in Asia would have heard. So Paul uses the plans of evil men to still spread his gospel, his purposes. And look at verse 11 and 12. Let's continue. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. This is fascinating. It's fascinating for a few reasons. One, because Paul, um, uh, Paul doesn't do a ton of miracles. Like when you study his life, Paul doesn't do as many miracles as some of the other disciples. Uh, Paul's main ministry is not a ministry of power. It's a ministry of reason and a ministry of logic. So that's how Paul draws people to Christ. He doesn't try to display these huge things of power to show, oh, look how great God is or whatever. He's just saying, Let me, let's just talk about this. Let's reason together. Let's use logic here. And he draws people to Christ through that. There's no other time in Paul's life where we see the power of God manifested greater than right now. Not before, not after. This is the greatest display of God's power in his life and ministry. I mean, could you imagine? They're taking handkerchiefs and aprons that he just touched, and they're taking them, they're finding sick people, and they're just touching the sick people with these, these handkerchiefs, and they're being healed. How crazy is this? I mean, a few years ago, I took Waverly to her first, uh, her first Nuggets game, and, uh, and it was actually the last game before COVID hit. And we were there for her birthday, and so we stayed after for a little bit, and, and, uh, and we went over to the player's side uh, where they go into their locker room, and Jamal Murray comes over, and he hands Waverly this, this I don't even know what it is, this sock thing <laughs> that he wore. It's even, it's even got a stain right there. The other day, Waverly said, Dad, she pulled it out. She said, Dad, it still has a sweat on it. I haven't washed it. I said, you're disgusting. You're dis that's disgusting. And you can literally see there's multiple stains on this thing. And I smelt it last night. I was like, oh, uh. that's what Jamal Murray smells like. But can you imagine? 
Can you imagine if like, if I just took this and I put this on Waverly and then all of a sudden she becomes this incredible basketball player where she's going to make millions of dollars. That would be awesome. I would love that. It's not going to happen. That would be crazy. Yet this is exactly what happens. I mean, this is the story of Paul right here. The people are taking his aprons and his handkerchiefs and they're just putting them on people and they're getting cured and demons are leaving and all of this stuff is happening. Why is this in here? I mean, Luke, who writes the the book of Acts, why does he include this? He could have included anything about Paul's life. I mean, he could have included any of the stories, anything, but he includes this part. Why? I think it's because of the city of Ephesus. I think it's because where we find Paul at this point, the Ephesus is one of the most powerful cities of the known world. It was a major trade hub for the world. It had everything, the culture, uh, the money, the temples to, to gods. It had politics and soldiers and merchants and slaves and free people. It literally had everything. It was the epicenter for social and civic. Uh, it was a powerhouse. It, 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 it was a social center, uh, a powerhouse for uh, spirituality and religion. It literally had everything. And what the people longed for most in Ephesus was power. The main thing that the city taught taught you to seek after, to go after, was power. Everybody wanted power. And I think God includes this story in here because he's going, hey, people of Ephesus, you want power? You like power? You desire power? I have all the power. I'm the one who has all the power. And so he begins to display these crazy things through the life of Paul so the people would go, man, how much power do you have? How do you have all of this power? And God trusted Paul to point people to Jesus. So as people would come to Paul and be like, how do you have so much power? Paul would say, it's because of Christ. It's because of God. It's because of what God chooses to do. Can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing all these miracles happening? Imagine being one of the, one of the people in Ephesus that day and just seeing Paul's apron or handkerchief being put on somebody and then being healed or a demon being cast out simply by that. Wouldn't you long for that? Wouldn't you long for these moments where you see the supernatural power of God in your life? Like, how do we get that? How do we walk in that on a daily basis? Let me give you two things, two thoughts of how you and I can see the supernatural power of God in our lives. That it would change us and change the world. Number one, you've got to know who holds the power. You've got to know who holds the power. So there's other people, they're watching this happen, and they want the same power. You can imagine that, right? So look at, look at verse 13. It says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So we clearly know they don't know Christ at this point. They just know about him because Paul preaches about him. I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So the city is longing for power, so much so that people are going around, they're using Jesus' name. They don't even understand who Jesus is. They're like, look, we saw Paul do it. Paul talked about Christ. Paul talked about this Jesus guy. Let's try it. 
These Jewish exorcists, what they were doing is they would go around and they would charge you money. So it was all about money at the end of the day. And so they would charge you money. They'd say, oh, you got a demon-possessed child or, or husband or whatever. You give us this money and we can drive them out. And so they were trying to do this. And one of the demons is like, oh, who are you? I know about Christ. And I'm glad you're not him. And I know about Paul. And I'm glad you're not. I don't know who you are. And then this demon jumps on these guys and overpowers them. And they run it out of the house embarrassed. Well, imagine. I mean, what kind of exorcists are these guys? They're just longing for money. They're wanting money. And these demons are going, but we don't even know who you are. We don't know who you are because we know that you don't know Jesus. You see, knowing who holds the power is not an intellectual knowledge. It's not like, I know that God holds the power. I know that Jesus holds the power. It's knowing him. It's knowing Christ. It's walking with Christ. It's having a relationship with Jesus. It's only when you have that relationship with Jesus that you have the power. The gospel has the power. Magic doesn't. Magic tries to get power by not submitting to God. But the gospel has power in it when you and I submit our lives over to Jesus. I see this all the time. I see people that they want God's power in their life. They want God to do a miracle. They want God to heal them. They want God to step in in this relationship and bring reconciliation. They want God to set them free from this addiction. They want God to do something but they don't know him. It's only the person that knows Christ that can live in the power of Christ. It's only the person that has Jesus living in them that can use his name in prayer and in healing. It's kind of like these two flashlights right here. It's, you know, we got this one right here and, and, and it doesn't work. And I would say this like represents Satan. And then you have this one right here and this one does work, and this one represents God. Why would I use this? Because in the Bible it says that God is light. But then it also says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So he's trying to manifest himself like God. He's trying to act like he's like God, but there's no power. There's no power to what he has. But he'll do everything he can. He'll look the same. He'll act the same and all of that. But at the end of the day, there's no power. The power is only in Christ. And when you and I are living in Christ, we can see the power of God. To say it another way, you can't, you can't expect to have the power of God if you aren't walking a life with God. You can't expect to have the power of God if you're not walking a life with God. And God's power is at work here. People come into faith. We're seeing healings, people being set free from demonic possession, then we see something at the end that I think is the greatest display of God's power. Look at verse 18 and 19. It says, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. So God's power, I think, is most profoundly seen in the burning of these costly magic books. You see, these people, they come to faith in Christ. They give their life over to Christ, but they're realizing they're still depending on something other than God. Like, I love that it doesn't say they burned their magic books and then they came to faith in Christ. They were already Christians. They were already believers. 
And then they said, hey, but we're still depending on these other things. So they come and they burn these books. And the Bible tells us that it was worth 50,000 drachmas, 50,000 silver coins. Today's equivalent, that's $5.46 million. We could do for the church for the city with that, you know? That's a lot of money. My thinking is like, well, why wouldn't they just sell that? They could sell that, those things and get the money and donate it to the church. Why wouldn't they just do that? Because they understand that if they sell those things and they're selling it to people who are also depending on something other than God, other than the power of God. How did they get here? How did they get to a point where they're, they're sacrificing so much? They're giving so much. Go back to verse 18. It says, many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. You see, if we want to walk in the power of God, then we not only have to know who has the power. We have to know him personally. But we also have to walk in confession. We have to walk in confession. What is confession? It's, it's speaking what is true. So what were they confessing? They were confessing two things. Number one, they were confessing their sin. They're saying, hey, there's been things in our life that we've been depending on other than God. For them, it was these magic books. It was these scrolls. They were depending on these things to give them the power, even after they accepted Christ. And they're like, we can't do that anymore. we got to rely on God fully. Now, my guess is that most of us don't have magic books at home. right? Most of us don't have these like sorcery things that we're trying to rely on for power. But what do you have that you're depending on other than God? Like when you and I look at our lives, there's all kinds of things that we can depend on other than him. What are you depending on for your security? What are you depending on for your peace? What are you depending on for your hope? What are you depending on for your purpose? When you start asking those questions, you start thinking, man, so many times for me, I'm not speaking for you, but for me, what I depend on for security and peace is my bank account. Certain numbers being in there, right? Like my retirement being okay and all of Like those things help bring me peace. But then I'm depending on those things over than him. Maybe there's people in your life that you're depending on to bring you certain things in your life rather than God. You're depending on them to bring you joy, to bring you happiness, rather than depending on him and his power and what he wants to do in you and what he wants to do through you. When you can identify what you're depending on more than God, you have to confess it. Hey, God, here's, here's the sin of my life. I've been relying on these things, these these items, this money, these possessions, these people, these superstitious things, whatever it may be, I've been relying on these things more than you. You just have to confess. For them, they burn these books. I'm not saying you go burn all the stuff that you, you're depending on, but how do you get rid of those things from the, the top priority list in your life? How do you take them off of the altar and put God there? How do you put God first? And the second thing they were confessing is they were confessing the power of Christ, that Christ had transformed them. They were teaching others about Jesus. They were willing to go tell the whole world that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life as he proclaims in John 14, 6, that he is the way, no other way, that he is the truth. There's no other truth. It's not your truth and my truth. He's the truth and he is life the only way to true life. And he's proclaim, they're proclaiming these things so that all people will hear, all people will know. They've been transforming their lives in such a way that they need others to know about it. 
They need others to, to hear about it. They want their family and their friends to, to know that Christ is real. This is why we're here as a church. This is why we're doing for the church, for the city, so we can put a stake in the ground and say, man, we want our community to know we're here. And this is who we're all about. We're all about Jesus. We're all about receiving people so that people can come to know Christ. We have this vision statement on our, on our website that I created a, a few years ago. And, and one paragraph, I just want to read one paragraph. This just shows a snapshot of who, of who we are. It says, I see a church transformed by the power of Christ who seeks out the hurting, the lost, and far from God, helping them experience the same transformation. A church that sits with the hopeless, loves the unloved, and gets home to the orphan. I see a church with open arms for the disconnected and disengaged, giving them a place to belong. A church that doesn't judge one's past or predict one's future, but loves with God's love today. This is who we are. And we're putting a stake in the ground and saying we're not going anywhere. And this is who God has called us to be, and we want every person in our community to know Christ. We want the orphan and the lost and the broken and the disconnected, and all. we want all of them to know that Christ reigns. And he has a plan for them. He has a purpose for them. And he loves them deeply. It's why we're doing For the Church, For the City. It's why we, we, we talk about these types of stories and say, man, this is our job. This is what we're called to do. And so do you want to see the power of God in your life? Do you want to see God's power displayed on a daily basis where you're like, I can't believe that God just chose to do that? Well, guys, let me tell you about something else that God just did. In order to see that power, you have to know the one who holds it. And I don't just mean intellectually. You've got to know relationally. Pursue after him. Get to know him. No matter where you are in your faith journey, like take one more step this week. Take one more step this week in that faith journey to get to know him more. You know who holds the power. You have that relationship with him. You could be that shining light in the midst of the darkness and then walk in confession. Is there sin in your life? There's sin in all of our lives. Is there something that you're, you're holding on to that you're, you've been trying to depend on for something in your life when God is the one that wants to provide that for you? If so, confess that. How do you do that? You can confess that through our crosses. That's why we do response time so that people can act upon what we're talking about here, not just, oh yeah, I should do something, but you can actually act upon that. The cross is a great way for confession. There's papers and there's pens, and you just write it down on a piece of paper and tack it to that and just say, okay, God, you already know. Confession is just agreeing with God, what he's already said to you or about you. So it's just pen in there. It's not between you and I. It's between you and God. I don't look at those things. It's between you and him. And so do you need to confess sin? And then all of us, if you're a follower of Christ, we're called to confess, to proclaim to the world that Jesus is God, that he is real, that he holds all the power, that he loves you, he loves every person in our lives, and he longs for each person to come to know him and to be transformed by him. And I believe as we do those two things, as we, as we know him more, know that he holds the power more, we trust in him, and as we walk in confession, then we'll see verse 20 lived out in our lives. Verse 20 says this, in this way, in this way, what way? That they knew who held the power, they had a relationship with Christ, they were walking in confession. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. 
that the word of the Lord, not my agenda, not my hopes and dreams, but the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That is my prayer for our church and for our community. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much for Paul's story. And God, what you chose to do in him and through him, therefore what you choose to do in us and through us, that you are the same God then as you are today. And so God, I long for your power to be displayed in such a way that we see some of the same miracles that Paul saw, that we experience some of the same miracles, the healings and the, the setting people free of addiction, the setting people free from demonic possession and oppression, that God, we would see the same thing because you are the same God. You have not changed. So God, we ask you to move power, that first we would come to know you, that God, we would know the one who holds the power, not just intellectually, but we would know you personally. Father, every single week, we have people coming to this place, and if we're being real honest, we'd say, man, Ernest, I don't have that relationship with God. I don't know him. So what does that mean? It means that You understand that you're a sinner. All of us are. The Bible says that all have sinned, every single one of us. The problem with sin, though, is it separates us from God. So if you've ever felt distant from him, felt like you couldn't hear his voice or feel his presence, sin causes that. We're so grateful that Jesus died for our sins, that he paid the price that we owed. We owed it, but he paid it. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later to show his power over sin and over death so that we could have life, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made new. And if that's you, if you'd say, man, I came into this place and honestly, earnest, I don't feel like I have life. I don't feel like I'm walking with God. But I want that. I long for that. God is saying, then today, come home. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his mercy. How do you do that? I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Just with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, man, that's me. I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to recommit my life to Christ today. I just want you to raise a hand. I want to know who to pray for. Amen. 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 Father, thank you so much for each one of these individuals. Thank you that you know them by name. You know their story. I thank you that you love them. If you're watching at home, you can just text the word follow to the number on the screen. God loves you. God sees you. He died for you so that you would know him. So God, we thank you for that. We thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. And Father, I pray that we would walk in confession. We would confess anything that we've been holding on to or been depending on other than you. And we would be as bold as these people were to go give up everything, to give up some of them, their life savings, everything they've worked for in confession. And that God, we then confess who you are to the world around us. That every place we set our foot, every place we walk into, that God, we would see it as a place to be a shining light in the midst of the darkness. We'd see it as a place that we could proclaim your goodness and your truth to the world around us. May we be bold in our faith. And God, because of us knowing you and knowing that you have all the power and submitting to that and God walking in confession of our sins and confession of who you are. May we see your word grow, spread widely and grow in power. 
It's in Jesus' name. Amen.